December the 20th, 2015, and this is a special intermission lecture or discussion, however you wish to call it. It is our Christmas, or, or some would say Gabrielmas, or some would say winter solstice. All are pretty much appropriate, I think you'll find. If you don't like those, and if you prefer something else, let me put this on the board for you uh, really fast. It's not going to be really fast, because I don't do anything really fast anymore, but we'll try to speed it as best we can before everyone is fast asleep. Uh, this is a discussion on 1 Timothy 3.16. That is, as you know, if you're going to know a 3.16 in the Bible, know this one. This is the mystery of godliness. Uh, it's going to be Genesis 1. Oops, get the Genesis in there. Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 5. Genesis 6, 8. Luke, that's what we will, we'll read quite a bit of this today. Luke 1, 26 through 38. That, uh, of course, is well known to most people. 2 Samuel uh, 7, 9 through 16. Proverbs 30. Verse 4, uh, John 3.13, Isaiah 7.14, Jonah, oops, Jonah, Jonah chapter 2, 5 and 6, my list is longer, I have to fit it in here, Exodus 40:35 Daniel 8:16 and Daniel 9:21 Exodus 15 chapter 15 and Numbers chapter 20 Anything that I have missed Oh, Judges. Can't miss Judges. Chapter 13. Okay, those are the texts for today. This, those are what I would say to you, um, and I'm going to say it a couple of times. Those are traditional, if not essential, Christmas uh, passages. Either way, whichever way you want to call it, the, the result is the same. We're going to trace through Scripture to understand what it was that the angel Gabriel said to Miriam. Notice how I say that, to Miriam. That's very important. That's why I'm up here in Exodus 15 and Numbers 20. You, of course, have heard it as Mary, and that's perfectly appropriate. Mary is the Greek form of the Hebrew Miriam. But if you don't know it's Miriam, you miss out on the meaning of Exodus 15 and Numbers 20, and you misunderstand, or maybe you, you don't fully understand what it is that Gabriel says to Mary Miriam, if you will. I'll use Mary Miriam as much as I can so that you understand why I'm making that connection. You know, don't you, I hope you know, that Miriam uh, in Exodus and Numbers is the, the name of the sister of Moses. And that becomes very crucial information. Miriam, Miriam means exalted one, and Gabriel means strong man of God. So I have happening in Luke 1 uh, uh, this discussion between Mary Miriam or Miriam Mary and Gabriel, the strong man of God and the exalted one. Gabriel, as we should expect, 
coming from God, being the strong man of God, says things to Miriam Mary that are astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Gabriel, as it turns out, duh, is a fantastic student of the Old Testament. And he buries Miriam Mary in Old Testament references in Luke chapter 1. Again, that's an unsurprising condition or eventuality. We should expect the angel of God named Gabriel to bring Old Testament scriptures to Mary by the truckload. And that is what he does. That is what this is. All of those scriptures that I put on the board for you and read off for those on the internet. That is why. That is just a small part of what Gabriel does. Miriam, Mary, as you know, if you've read the the text or that passage, and most of us have over the years, especially this time of year, does not respond well to Gabriel's appearance. Uh, she is afraid of him. And, and Gabriel, by the way, knew she would be afraid. Miriam Mary, however, is also confused by what Gabriel says to her. Uh, so she is afraid and confused. Once more, that is an unsurprising outcome, something that we would expect. And we should read this account now and see how we do. Put yourself in, just imagine that your name is Miriam, and you have uh, Gabriel, the angel, has come to you, and he says these things to you. How much of it do you understand? So let's go to Luke 1, 26. Some people use pieces of cardboard to mark where they want to go. And I drop the cardboard out all the time, so I use pins. It helps me. It doesn't do the book that I use much good, but it does help me. So that's why, in case you were wondering. So here we are now, Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 26, and I'll read it. And you read along and put yourself in the Miriam Mary position. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. None of that is coincidence. To a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Those are a lot of details. Every one of them is critical information. Of the house of David. So let me read that again. All of those details, the sixth month, Gabriel it was sent by God. He's the strong man of God. He goes to Galilee. He, he wants to get to Nazareth. There's a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph who was from the house of David. All of that. Critical information, and in the precise order. The virgin's name was Mary, or actually Miriam. And having come in, the and having come in, the angel said to her, "Rejoice, highly favored! The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women." But when she saw, she was troubled by his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid or fear not, Miriam, for you have found grace with God. And behold, so now you know this is a behold, something unbelievable is coming next that hardly anyone understands. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. What is the behold in that sentence? Is it that she will conceive a son? 
Now, the name, the name is the behold. There's something unbelievable about that name. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And that David attaches to the David up above when Joseph of the house of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Miriam, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? There's evidence that she was completely confused. As the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that holy thing who is who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age and is now the sixth month of her. And that sixth month goes back to the first sixth month. Right. And is now the sixth month for her who has who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Excuse me. Okay. That is a huge part. And our job today is to, since we we make customary lists here, and that's because list makers are going to list, I'm going to take this list of passages that I gave you, and I'm going to assign them to where they go in what we just read. So let's start out. Sixth month, obviously, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Not the fourth month, not the fifth, not the eighth, not the seventh. Gabriel comes on the sixth month of the of John the Baptist's development, right? Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist. And so, sixth month, Gabriel comes. Sent by God. That, by the way, is why we call, why they call this Gabriel Moss. Because that means Gabriel sent by God. Chris Moss. Christ sent by God. Michael Moss. Michael sent by God. Okay? And, and by the way, well, I'll get to that in a second. And then he goes to Nazareth. Of all the places he could go, he wants to be, Gabriel wants Nazareth to be that place. And this is the house of David. So the descendancy, if you will, the, the, uh, the genetic information that comes out of David. There's a virgin here. And her name is Miriam. If you wish, you can stick with Mary long as you know. The statement that is made is that she is full of grace. You will hear uh, other denominations always say Miriam full of grace or Mary full of grace, right? That becomes extremely important that she is called full of grace. But Miriam Mary is troubled and she is 
has some confusion. Gabriel tells her to fear not. And then it is said that Mary found grace. So you will see found favor. You will see uh, all kinds of things here. But just recognize full of grace and Mary found grace is the literal meaning of that. And then this incredible behold that comes right there. That tells you, okay, there's amazing things happening now from that point on. There's the conception, also called the incarnation. It's going to be a son. You will bring forth a son. His name, the name of the son is what? The name of the son is salvation. Get in the habit of recognizing that Yeshua, Hebrew, Yeshua, whichever way you wish to go with it. I'm not great at Hebrew pronunciations. I don't pretend to be. But that means salvation. The name Behold, the name is salvation. Critical to know that. And he will be great, son of the Most High. Yes. Son of the Most High. So now you know who the Father is, if you will. You have this throne of David element here. Son of the Most High, Eternal King, throne of David again. And the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow holy thing that by the way I, I, I've done lectures on the holy thing and what it means and why I have that position uh, that is phenomenal that the Bible does not know what to call Jesus Christ so the Bible ultimately calls him the holy thing now the Bible doesn't that's horribly said the Bible puts holy thing in there because man cannot understand who Christ really is. This is, a, uh, this is why I say never anthropomorphize. This is not just merely a human baby. This is infinite God and a human baby in combination. And the Bible calls this the holy thing. That, by the way, will take you to Judas at some point, right? Never mind. See how easy it is for me to... Son of God, that is used by churches all over the place most of the time. They don't know what it means. Elizabeth comes in now. Nothing impossible. I'm running out of space. There's an impossibility element here. And then it all pretty much ends with Mary saying, Behold the maidservant. 
Okay, so there's our list of Luke 126 through 38. And now we, all we have to do is take these references and assign them to those components. And of course, as I said, these are the typical traditional verses and passages that are read every Christmas or not. I like to say, as you know, all over the world today, they are reading Jonah 2, 5 through 6 to celebrate Christmas. If this is, in fact, Christmas. And you can make the case, as I have every year, that this is Christmas. This is Christ sent. If it is the birth, it is clearly not the birth in 126 through 38. Uh, which month it happens in. When I say it's clearly not, when I'm talking about December, for example, right now we're at the winter solstice. This is the darkest part of our hemisphere. This is, if this is Gabriel coming at that time, it's clearly Gabriel sent, or Gabriel must, but if it is the overshadowing, which it also was, then it is Christ sent, or Christmas, if you wish. Now you're arguing over what exactly is it? Is it the birth or the incarnation in December? As you know, churches all over the world, as I said, are reading Jonah 2, 5 through 6, and Judges 13, and Exodus 40, and Genesis 6 this time of year. But no, they're not. That is not true, as you know. But I'm going to tell you that they should. And me being the trendsetter that I am, I would see if I can get something fired up here. Yes, sir, go ahead. I am saying that you have three three discussions. Now we'll get, now the internet is going to go. Why do you take questions from the audience when it just distracts you? But it's okay. It's what we do here. The question becomes: We celebrate something in December. Essentially, we're celebrating something at the winter solstice, the darkest part of our hemisphere, which would be the darkest part, if you will, of Israel. Right? We're celebrating this. At the solstice, right now, what do we got? Five hours of daylight? We're going to start gaining two seconds a day on Tuesday? We, this is, we get an idea of how bad it is to be in the winter solstice. It's bad. You know, I like to say this, the, it starts to get light at uh, 10 o'clock, but you don't notice it till noon, and at 3 it's dark again. And you notice that. So we're, we're buried in darkness right now. We have darkness everywhere. So it is, it's always concerned to me that we are celebrating the birth of Christ in December many, many places all over the world when in fact there is no feast day of the Lord in December. So Christmas means Christ sent, but what are we talking about? The incarnation? The conception? Or the birth during the winter solstice. If you've decided that this is the incarnation or the conception, then the birth would come on a on a feast day. Now, isn't that convenient? Okay, but let's not bog down with that. All of you know that. That was for the sake of the internet audience. Your best friend is Mike. If you want to know, you folks out there. So I'm going to plug these in over here, this list. I'll put them where they are obviously connected. And you must realize, however, that they will apply to more than one singular item that's extremely complex. I'm not going to get to the, the, the root of all of these things, but we're just going to do the best we can. The a minute you see Gabriel, where should you go in the Bible? The minute you're reading Gabriel comes to Miriam, where are you going to go now? 
You're going to stop right at Gabriel, and you're going to go where in the Bible? Come on. You can go Genesis if you will, but Gabriel is, a, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good place to go. But most would say, well, I've got to go hunt every Gabriel reference in the Bible. The first place that Gabriel is mentioned is Daniel. My name happened to be Daniel. I'd want to know all I could about Gabriel because Gabriel and Daniel do a lot of talking. If my name just happened to be Daniel. Not that that applies to anybody here, but just in case it did. So we're now in Daniel. And he shows up at 816 and 921 at Daniel. That's where he goes, right there. Important to read that before going another step in this, in this story of Gabriel. Is there any possibility that what Gabriel says to Daniel, Gabriel was going to reintroduce to Miriam? Oh, yeah, baby. Exactly what he does. So to fully understand what Gabriel's going to say to Miriam, I've got to go back and find out what he said first to Daniel. That would make sense, wouldn't it? And then I have this Nazareth thing. Where, where, where do I go when I want to talk about Why does he call himself Jesus' salvation of Nazareth? Why does he do that? Well, it's because of Judges 13. Oh, how convenient. Judges 13 is right there. What's Judges 13? It's Samson. To understand why Nazareth is, is in Luke uh, 126 through 38, I've got to go to Judges 13 and start studying the Nazaretic or the Nazaretic oath and Samson. House of David down here, wherever the house of David is, oh, there it is, that's 2 Samuel 7. That's the reason he brings. So he's essentially telling Mary, and he's telling you, and he's telling me, okay, first, I'm Gabriel. Go to Daniel 8, 16, 9, 21. I'm in Nazareth. Nazareth. Go to Judges 13, study Samson. I'm bringing up the house of David. Go to uh, 2 Samuel 7. You're a virgin. Where do I go now? You read it. Who read that? You should answer this. Somebody got read that. I heard you. That's Isaiah 7, 14. By the way, how much of this do you think Mary understood when he started saying these words? She knew this one. Every Jewish woman knew Isaiah 7.14. Now, whether or not she made the connection to the Messiah, that's in doubt. The Jews will tell you that this virgin aspect is a post-Christian, or uh, uh, that's a, a church event. They figured it out after the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, when he began to explain this to them, road to Emmaus and all of that, right? Full of grace. Or if you will... Uh, let's go down to Mary found grace. Where's that? That's Genesis 6-8. I'll start moving ahead of time here so I can get through it. His name is salvation. That's Proverbs 30. Verse 4. I'm skipping some because I have to. Overshadow. That's Genesis 1. Two through five. It's Jonah. 
2, 5 through 6. That's the overshadow. When he says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Holy Spirit, as you know, is Genesis 1.1. So when he says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, uh, what he's saying to her essentially is, go read Genesis 1.1, Genesis 1.2-5, and Jonah 2.5-6 to understand what I mean. The holy thing, 1 Timothy 3.16. Once more, if you're going to learn... One thing that's a 316, that's the one. I personally like Leviticus 316 as well. But that's because I'm weird. Okay, we've got to start. Obviously, I skipped stuff. I had to skip stuff. I'm trying to go as fast as I can so that we don't have the usual long, onerous lecture. But uh, So I let things go. You're on your own. You can do it. You can find the same thing that I have started you with, and and I think you'll be uh, excited and amazed by what is here. But at least now we've got the template that's beginning to form. So let's start at Proverbs 30, verse uh, 1 through 4, 2 through 4, and uh, I'll give you a chance to get there so that I can have a drink of medicine. We're going to find out this name salvation thing. Here it is, Proverbs 30. These are the words of Agar. Surely I am more stupid than any man. That's why I love this. I love Proverbs 30. Surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. This is a man that starts out by saying, I'm an idiot. And God has honored him. In ama- he was given something that is amazing, Agar was. So here's verse 4. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? That is called the great question of Proverbs 30 or the question of Agar or the mystery of Proverbs 30 verse 4 or the mystery of Agar. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? Or if you will, who has fixed the earth in its place? What is his name and what is his son's name if you know? So, Agar's question. Who has ascended and descended? That, by the way, let me put this John 3.13 next to it because that's where it goes. Left it out. That is the issue of why he is called salvation. In John 3.13, Christ says to Nicodemus, Only me. Only me has ascended and descended. So what ascended means and what descended means in that context, in that sentence, uh, in that question, who has ascended and descended? That's the answer that Jesus Christ gives to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, comes to Christ, and Christ answers the heretofore never answered mystery that had lasted for almost a thousand years from Agar and Proverbs. And Christ answers it at John 3.13. And Christ's answer is, it's me. 
I am the one. I am the only one. No one else has ascended and descended but me. So what does ascended and descended mean? What did Christ mean when he said that? What does this mean? Somehow, by the way, it connects to the brazen serpent lifted up by Moses. So you'll see that in John as well. John 3. Agar ultimately asked, what is the name of the one, the only one who ascends and descends, gathers the wind, bounds the water in a garment, and fixes the earth in its place? What is his name? What is his son's name? And no one could answer that question until Christ did it at John 3.13. I want it to be for me when it rings, but it isn't, is it? I will answer it for you. If it's a telemarketer, I would love to talk to him. I talk to the telemarketers now all the time. As you know, it's my favorite thing to do. One called me from the East Coast uh, somewhere in Boston, he said, which he can never believe them, that uh, he spoke with a very heavy accent that bore no resemblance to English of any kind. And he told me his name was Richard. And I, of course, knew it wasn't, but we were going to go with it. I told him my name was Fred. So we started out on equal ground. And Richard wanted me to go to, he represented Microsoft, as it were. And he let me know that uh, as, a, as a, an advocate for Microsoft, that I needed to uh, go to my computer and sit down in front of it, and uh, then he would tell me what to do next. And, of course, I didn't do any of that, but I pretended that I did. And he asked me questions. Well, what's, uh, what are you seeing now on your screen? And I said, I'm seeing a picture of a German shepherd, which happens to be my German shepherd or our Anna's German shepherd, our German shepherd. More, more Anna's than, than anybody's. Unless, unless it poops, then it's mine. And then I have that. <laughs> or the vet pills. Anyway, point of it is, is that I told him there was this picture of a German shepherd. And he, that made no sense to him at all. And I went on to describe the entire photograph there that was on the computer. And he said, well, you're, you've done something wrong. And I said, well, oh, tell me to, what to do. I'll try it again. And he gave me this this code thing that he wanted me to enter and all this stuff. And, of course, he is a con artist, right? You know that immediately. Those are my favorite. And so I told him that I had done that, and he said, what do you see now? And I said, well, there's a command here. And what does it say? And I said, well, it tells me, Richard, that uh, it's requiring that you uh, give me your Social Security number, your place and date of birth. Uh, two Visa card numbers are a Visa and a MasterCard uh, and your driver's license number before it'll allow you into my computer. Could you please give And it says here that if you don't want to give me your whole social security number, could you please give me the first numbers and the last four and leave? And, of course, that code on the back on your credit card, i got to have that before I can give you access to my computer. And he's stunned. Nobody had ever... And see, the point is, is he wants my social security number, right, and all my credit information, all of that, so he can steal what little money we have. I am not... Uh, a soft target for two reasons. One, I'm Henri, and two, I don't have any money. So they're wasting their time. But for me, it's a great joy. So I, we bantered over back and forth. I kept every time he tell me to do something, I would tell him what keeps asking for your Social Security number, Richard. And that went on for about 15 minutes. Finally, he said, "I'm not giving you my Social Security number." <laughs> I laughed out loud. I said, "Well, that's a, that's a coincidence because I'm not giving you my computer." <laughs> anyway, then I killed him.
I got there because the phone rang, didn't I? Okay. And it wasn't, it wasn't Richard. Oh, darn it. We were having a really good relationship. I thought we were going to be friends until, until what he said at the end. Uh, anyway, Agar, what is his name and what is his son's name if you know? And that's, that has a rhetorical implication. The implication is that nobody knows the name of the son. And nobody knows who ascends and descends. And nobody even really understands what ascends and descends means. Agar asked the question, they didn't know what ascends and descends mean. What does it mean? Does it mean jump up and down? Go up a flight of stairs, come back down? Some people will attach it to the ladder of Jacob's ladder. What does, the, what does Christ mean when he said it? What does Agar mean? No one knew. Finally now, Gabriel says, the name of the son from Proverbs 30 verse 4 is salvation. And now everyone knows the answer to the mystery of Proverbs 30, verse 4. No one knew it till then. The name of God the Son is salvation. No one could solve Proverbs 34 until Gabriel went Luke 131. No one solved the ascend and the descend until Christ solves it with Nicodemus at John 3.13. Okay, with me so far? <coughs> so, you have that information now. Next, we go to Genesis 1. One through five. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. I have the spirit of God hovering over Miriam, right? So, you know, immediately this has got to be connected. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light. And it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. Now. Jonah, two, five through six. Jonah is dying. And this, and this, a lot of people think Jonah lived in the fish with a lamp and wrote a book. Much like, who is it? Giuseppo and Pinocchio? I don't remember who it was. I don't keep track. But that's the common view that, that he was swallowed by a fish and he sat in there with TV dinners watching reruns of whatever. He's dead. Jonah is a type of Christ. Three days, three nights, he's dead. That means he's resurrected after three days and three nights. That's a sign of Jonah. So Jonah is writing this after he has been dead and after he has been resurrected. So this is his account of his experience. And this is what he says. The waters surrounded me to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth behind its bars behind, closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the abyss. Big fish got him and vomited him up on a beach, and he was resurrected. Death, three days, three nights, resurrected. That is the sign of Jonah. 
Obviously, the Holy Spirit of God is hovering over shadowing both in Genesis 1-2 and in Luke 1-35. There is identical imagery in both passages. There's no dispute. There's no mistaking the parallel of Genesis 1 and Genesis or Luke 1-35. God intends for us to compare forever the impending explosion of light and life that is in Genesis 1 and the holy thing that is light and life. Always look at Luke one thirty five and Genesis one two together. The incarnation, the mystery of godliness, Timothy first Timothy three sixteen, God adding humanity. Why did he add the humanity? Why did God add humanity? Did he need to add humanity? Well he's omniscient God, so omniscience demands that this is the only solution. But he adds humanity And then what does he do with it? He descends. And he descends to his fallen creation. You see, no one but Christ is both infinite God and perfect man. Only There's only one God-man. No one but Christ, he says, and Agar says, no one but Christ ascends, and no one but Christ ascends and descends. There is no one that descends, and there is no one that ascends, and no one ascends and descends but Christ. Does that make sense? Okay? If you have a understanding of ascension and descension as it applies to Christ that is something that somebody else can do, you have the wrong definition. The meaning of this is the combination of John 13 and Proverbs 30, verse 4. Is, uh, this is the great mystery of godliness. Christ is saying, Creator God Himself is me. That's what Christ is saying. Creator God Himself is Jesus Christ. How many creator gods having humanity added are there? There's only one. That's why he says there is only one who is creator God and perfect humanity. Notice how I emphasize perfect humanity. If you have a position that Christ has imperfect humanity, then you've destroyed the doctrine of salvation. If you think that Christ was afraid or didn't know something or uh, made mistakes or was confused or was wishing that he didn't even go to his crucifixion, then you have an imperfect humanity and now you no longer have the only one. Because it requires that it be infinite creator God and perfect humanity to be the God-man. Thus, the ascension, who ascends, that is referencing infinite Godhood. That's what it means. The definition of ascension in Proverbs 34 and in John 3.13, the definition of that word as God defines it is infinite Godhood, creator, infinite God. Descension refers to perfect humanity. So who has ascended, who has descended, means who is perfect, or I'm sorry, who is infinite creator God, and who is also simultaneously perfect humanity. Obviously, there's much more to that. I've just scratched the surface, but that's the beginning of resolving the mystery of Agar and the answer to Nicodemus. This is called, in theology, the hypostatic union. It is called hypostatus forever, God himself adding humanity. 
So to that, we now have Jonah 2, 5 through 6. And hopefully you're asking, what does Jonah dine in water, being swallowed by a fish and regurgitated and resurrected, have to do with the hovering and the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit in both Genesis 1-2 and Luke 1-35? That is the great question there. I hope you're asking it. I hope you're going... What's the weird person talking about now? Well, the key is, what word did I emphasize? Did you catch it? What connects Jonas 4, I'm sorry, Jonas 2, 5 through 6, and Genesis 1, 2 through 6, or 1 through 6, is this word. Where can I put it? Deep. Deep. Darkness was on the face of the deep. The deep closed around me. Jonah uses the identical word for his situation. Jonah describes his death as the deep. He cries out from Sheol, which is death which is the place of the death. The place of the dead, the death. and It's the deep. The deep closed around me. So we could rightfully conclude that death is now a component of Genesis 1-2 because the deep has a death connotation to it. If you prefer, we could substitute and, and darkness was the face of death. Substituting death for deep. Now, no time today, same problem, to delve into this except to say this. Let me add this. When I say death in relationship to Genesis 1-2, there is no organic carbon-based life. Does that make sense? No organic carbon-based life existed at the time of Genesis 1-2. There was no physical death as we now define physical death. None had occurred because physical death requires something. It requires sin. And there was no sin before Adam and no death before Adam sinned. And so there is no question, though, that darkness and the deep carry with them the intrinsic aspects of death. Eternal death is the place of utter darkness. The everlasting fire was prepared for Satan and his angels. Those two go together, by the way, and that helps you understand. For today, though, recognize that the Holy Spirit hovers and overshadows. There is darkness and there is deep darkness. And so there's this implication of death there in Genesis 1, 2. And what comes to it? Light comes to it. And life comes. And so we see this image of he who is light and he who is life bringing up life from the deep. And all of that so far brings us to Miriam found grace. Miriam, Miriam Mary was a recipient of grace. Did you know that this is the first time grace is mentioned in the Bible? When it says, Mary found grace? 
First place it's mentioned, sorry, not the Bible, in the New Testament. First place in the first mention of grace in the New Testament. So what should we do now? We've got to go find that compliment in the Old Testament, right? Someone in the Old Testament was the first to find grace. That someone, the first mention of grace in the Old Testament, is where do you suppose it was? I wrote it on the board for you. Oh, here it is. Genesis 6-8. Who found grace at Genesis 6-8? Noah did. Mary found grace. Noah found grace. That's not an accident. Noah and Miriam Mary have been combined forever. Grace is something that is found as an aside. It's never earned. Notice that. Miriam found grace. Noah found grace. They found grace. It is found. It's something that is found. It is never earned. It is found by those who believe God. They find it. But what is the connection between Noah and Miriam Mary? Noah, of course, is inside the ark. What's the ark covered with? Uh, Genesis 6.14. It's covered with kofar or kafar, which is a, a means blood atonement. So the ark is covered by something that the Hebrews call pitch. But what they mean literally is that it is covered or protected from the water seeping into it and killing things is covered by atonement blood. That's the word kofar or kofar and kafar mean atonement blood elsewhere in the Bible. So that tremendous image there is the ark with Noah inside covered in the blood of Christ, right? So Noah is inside the ark and saved from death. There's three arcs. I have the Ark of Noah. I have the Ark of Moses that he wrote into in right as a child. And I have the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony. There's three of them. I put all three together. I get one incredible story or meaning, if you will. So Noah is inside the Ark, safe from the deep waters, and he is saved. By the way, that's very similar to Jonah. Miriam Mary... She's not inside the ark. The ark is inside her. The one who is betrayed by the ark. By the way, Christ is omnipresent God, so he's everywhere. Never forget that Christ is omnipresent God. Never forget the Holy Spirit is omnipresent God. Never forget that um, the God the Father is omnipresent God. People come to me all the time and they say, uh, God is here with me. Well, yeah, he's omnipresent. The with, with Noah, the earth again is covered in water, as it was in Genesis 1. Many will say that it returned to Genesis 1. I'll let you say that. So I have the earth in water with Noah as it, or a water covering the earth as it covered the earth in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, I have the Holy Spirit moving on the waters, overshadowing the waters. And in, with Noah, I have the ark moving on the water of Genesis 7. Noah has this undeniable relationship to Adam that you will see if you study scripture. Uh, Noah, of course, is the Adam of the world post-flood with regard to fruitful and multiply. 
There's this undeniable relationship to Adam with Noah. Mary, likewise, is undeniably linked to Eve. So Noah is in an Adam position. Mary is in an Eve position. Miriam, Mary actually, actually, literally gives birth to the seed of the woman, which is Christ. But for today, I just want you to, this is the darkest day of the year, and we celebrate the mystery of godliness. We celebrate the ascension and the descension of God. This somehow God, infinite God, adds humanity. And, and Paul, every, everyone who has looked at this goes, how can a human being understand this? And so that's what we're doing. We're celebrating it. First Timothy 3.16 is what we're celebrating. John 1.14 says, Grace and truth came to darkness. And mankind found the grace and the truth. And John 1.17 identifies who the grace and the truth is. And that is, of course, Christ himself. Jesus Christ is described as full of grace and truth. Full of grace and full of truth. John 1.14. So what's the obvious mathematical question? How full is full? Let's word it correctly. Jesus Christ is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, omnibenevolent, infinite creator God. So the real question is, is how full is infinity? Or how much infinity does infinity have? How much grace and truth does Christ possess? How do you find grace? Mary found grace. Noah found grace. How do you find it? You believe the truth about Jesus Christ. And you believe that he is full of grace.